Hi, and welcome to Taboo with Mimi, the podcast that talks about anything and everything, really, that is taboo in this world. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No. But seriously, I go around the world because I'm a digital nomad, and I interview people from different cultures and ask them about their taboos. Why? Because it's time to talk about them. Some things will hopefully make you think. Others will maybe gross you out, but most things will be something you can relate to. So there you have it. Welcome to Taboo with Mimi. Okay, hello everyone. I'm here with my friend Sarah. <laughs> here right in the city center of Changu. <laughs> right in the middle of fucking everywhere. I'm very privileged with where I've landed. Very privileged. <laughs> I'm here with Sarah, who is Irish, and I'm just going to open a parenthesis here saying that every Irish person that I've met is so cool and amazing. <laughs> They're just, like, fun. So, yeah, who are you? Who are you, Sarah? Wow, you've put a lot of expectation on me there. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm Sarah, and I am Irish, as you've highlighted. Yeah, so grew up in Dublin and moved to London for a while. Moved back to Dublin to do my PhD then. And then after my PhD, after my postdoc, went traveling for a year to, I don't know, find myself and chill out for a while. And then COVID hit and I started working online and I've just kind of been moving ever since. So where did you do your BA? My BA, as in my bachelor's in Dublin. 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 In? In Trinity College. What subject? Oh, in medicinal chemistry. In chemistry. Yeah. Okay. Do you do a master's or you went straight to your PhD? Yes, I went straight to a PhD. Actually, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. I had a year of work experience as a chemist in R&D under my belt, and that kind of afforded me the opportunity to go straight into a PhD. Took some time off in London in between, but yeah, then came back. Came back home to, to learn. And then you went to London to do your postdoc. No, I did my postdoc in Dublin. Um, also. Yeah. Also in chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. That was more in drug discovery. Um, drug discovery. Yeah. Wow. And the PhD lasts how long? Usually? Uh, four years. Because in my head, it's like five years, but I guess it depends on... I think it depends on where you do it. The in the US, they're like up to seven years. So... Yeah. Yeah. Why, why chemistry? Yeah, interesting. I guess I was in school and I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. And, uh, <laughs> like most of us. Yeah, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that there's so much pressure on. That's the first time I think I ever experienced anxiety was that pressure of, you know, deciding what direction your life should take because you have to go to university and otherwise, you know, you're doomed. Or at least that's what you're taught in Ireland. I think nowadays yeah. people are waking up to the fact that that's not so important anymore. For us, it's even before because after middle school, we yeah. already have to go to high school and high school in Italy is really interesting because there's like two types. Mm. There's like high school, which we call liceo and liceo is like what you go to if you want to go to university or those professional schools. Professional schools are usually four years. Liceo is usually five years and professional schools, I mean, it is what it says. It's like they teach you a profession mm. and after four years you can go straight to do the job. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go to university, then you have to go to liceo. And if you want to go to the liceo, there's not just one. There's like at least four different types. 
So there you have already to decide. I went to, for example, high school for languages, which we do a lot more languages and less of everything else. Mm -hmm. But you could go and do more history. You can do more math. So there you kind of have to decide already what you want to do after because you're going to do more of that subject or more of yeah. that subject. And I'm like, I'm fucking 14. It's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's so crazy to put that pressure on kids. And also because like as you grow up and I know schooling systems are starting to broaden how they think and stuff now. But when you go through the traditional schooling system, you're not taught to think for yourself. Like you're literally just going through the motions. So how on earth then when they thrust this like this huge responsibility of you of making at the time what you think is the choice of the direction of the rest of your life like yeah it's it's intense so you're 18 because you have eight like you're 12 years right yeah but you're kind of start making that decision at what like 16 when you choose like your subject choices for yeah it's do you have tests and exams to get into university yeah we do it's called the leaving cert in ireland do you have to study before to prepare like you have to yeah you for. have about two years worth of study to do beforehand and you have to take like six subjects for it I took way too many because I put way too much pressure on myself I took 10 wow. um but yeah it's anyway so I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was uh freaking out a little bit and I just decided you know what fuck it like I like science so I put down science thinking I would do something in biology and then when I went into sort of general science at university level, I just realized I fucking love chemistry. I loved like the logic of it. So cool. And yeah, ended up following that path. But it wasn't like, you know, people have these plans. I definitely have not, I didn't plan to do a PhD. It just sort of fell. It fell in my path and I did it. I didn't plan to do a postdoc. It just sort of happened. I didn't plan to now be working in what I'm doing, which is advising pharma companies on their digital health strategy again it just sort of happened um yeah yeah you have you do something very very specific yeah tell us because you do like how many years of like you do three years of of master of science i don't know what how's that um bachelor of science nine years nine years in chemistry research right and And then after nine years when you have a post doc yeah in chemistry what do you do Usually what you do, and again, this is something that they don't really map out for you, is usually what you do is you go and work in a lab, earn no money, work insane hours just to get your name on publication. And you don't really think about that when you're choosing, you know, okay, I'll do a PhD, okay, I'll do a postdoc, or at least I wasn't thinking about that. But coming to the end of my research career, I don't want to say the end of my research career because I don't want my research to be finished. But yeah, like I just knew that that wasn't kind of what I had envisioned I don't know what I had envisioned but I knew like marrying myself to a lab for limited financial reward even though money isn't everything isn't what I had set myself up for you know so yeah and then COVID hit and all the labs shut down anyway don't get me wrong I loved research so I was still considering taking a lab job but yeah COVID hit all the labs shut down and I moved online into sort of consulting and now I can't imagine a life where I don't work remotely. Yeah, how does a chemist work remotely? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You can. It's actually incredible. And I'm learning more and more about it every day. So, I mean, there's consulting that you can do more on the sort of strategy side of things, which is mainly where I've ended up. And as I said, on the digital health side. So although I still consult in chemistry, freelance, 
And for that, I sort of advise like startups and stuff on their chemical roadmap, depending on what their plans are. But then on the digital health side of things, yeah, it's mainly around, it's kind of futuristic almost. It's around treating disease with digital rather than with drugs and monitoring the progression of disease or detecting disease with, you know, digital rather than, you know, when you're like detecting it with digital way before it even happens where you start getting symptoms of the disease rather than waiting till you're sick and and then you know you're already fully you know six years into a chronic disease and it's you know you're then living with it for life rather than preventing it so yeah so cool it's it's super cool where digital health will go I think it's such an exciting field to work in I think it's the um, future of health. It is no? the future of health. And that's not to say I'm you're well, a part of it. I guess I mean, so. you're not part of it. You're really a part of it. Like you're making it. Uh, kind of. I think like I was thinking about this today because like lately I'm really trying to assess what makes me happy and what aspects of, you know, my work I enjoy and what aspects I don't enjoy. And I think Yes, I'm a part of it in the consulting and, you know, helping pharma companies map out where they want to go and everything. But I really miss the doing side of being like down in the nitty gritty part of the the research, you know. What's the most taboo thing that you are doing in uh, the lab? Yeah. Can you tell us? I could end up in prison. <laughs> so do not tell us that. Do you have something in between? Like, what do you do in the lab? What do, I, uh, do you experiment with drugs? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was making, in my postdoc, I was, you know, researching new drugs for MS. Wow. And then... What's in, MS for um, everybody? Multiple sclerosis. So it's an inflammatory yeah. disease that causes degeneration of, of the brain. But then in my time at a pharma company as an R&D chemist, I don't know what I can say or what I can't say on this. I was working in pulmonary fibrosis, looking for a drug to treat that. So, so yeah, cool. it's not taboo, but... <laughs> How is the academia world and the PhD world or your field in terms of like, I'm a woman in this field? Mm, yeah were you the only one no actually in academia I would say there were girls in our lab what I did notice was I had to fight a lot harder to maybe be heard or in in Ireland any Irish listeners to this will know that like it's just part of our nature to be very self-deprecating and I noticed that the guys could be self-deprecating and, and have that humor, but still get listened to when it came to, you know, making your point with regards to chemistry or saying, no, actually, I think you're doing that wrong. I think we should be doing this kind of a thing. Whereas I noticed if I took my natural self-deprecating humor, which is just a part of who I am, it, people would not really listen to what I had to say when it came to chemistry. And I'm going to have to block a few people from hearing this. <laughs> if I end up sharing it but like I know I was better than a lot of the guys in the lab but I definitely had to fight a lot harder to be listened to um yeah but I think yeah. it's important they they listen to this too because yeah. sometimes it's just not fair mm. right and I feel like especially the higher you go and especially in the academia the higher you go and I've seen this because my ex was doing a PhD and 90% of the people that were doing a PhD were men. Mm. And 
the higher and also the academia it's really like the professors are up here and in order to get up here you have to go through all the steps yeah it's a huge issue and as a woman sometimes if you get to the top people are gonna believe you did you got there because not of your merits I think yeah it's really really hard I think the academic world also it's just not built for women like a lot of the world I'm not just saying to make it as an academic essentially you do your PhD and then you do a series of postdocs are PhDs paid in Ireland is it like a stipend yeah, yeah. so there's stipends so you can do unpaid ones as well but generally you know people will apply for stipends for PhDs so you have yeah. to apply for funding and then yeah so then you you do your PhD then you do usually a few postdocs maybe a research fellowship but to really make your name so that afterwards you can get a you know a permanent position in a university which is and start to build your lab you need to move around different universities you need to you know you definitely need to go to the US for a few years you, you want to maybe work in an Ivy League college yeah you come back to Europe you probably want to check out Cambridge you, you have to do all of this to make your name and also because the education system is so long so you might be finishing your PhD when you're 28 you're starting your postdoc journey when you're around, you know, 28, 29, 30. And women start to get to that point where it's like they start to think about families, they start to think about having kids. And it's so hard to be moving around and chasing that career when you can't do it from one spot. Like you literally have to be going from university to university, making not great money, chasing the publications rather than, you know, your free time. It's just, it's a hard one if you want a family to keep pursuing and then after that it's a boys club I have one post I'd say research fellow she was probably a research fellow that used to work in our lab and she was really gunning for a permanent position at a university and the struggle she had she has one now and um, but the struggle she had in obtaining that she said like she had more publications than a lot of the men applying for these things she had a better track record but it's just a boys club at the end of the day particularly in chemistry I don't know if but it's like in in other fields I can only speak from my field but yeah it's a it's a hard one yeah but you did it I part of it part of it part of it yeah Um, I just decided it wasn't even though I still would dream about having my own lab and everything like that I the academic the fully academic route I decided wasn't it wasn't what was going to make me happy so but was it influenced by this or is it just because Mm. it's not your thing no I think I had the drive to kind of do it if I wanted to and also don't get me wrong like a lot of luck comes into it you have to be at the top of your game as well as doing all of this stuff so but I had the drive and hopefully the skill to leave it a go but yeah I think once I got a taste for remote life and the freedom that it gives you there was just no way that I could go back to being confined in a lab every day and I think anybody that knows me as well probably couldn't imagine that of me now like maybe one of the days back when I was doing my PhD, they could have. But yeah, I really couldn't see it right now. So. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've known you for a little bit now. And it's interesting because to me, you're a very interesting person. And we talked about it the other day. You know, it just when you introduce yourself, you kind of just say, like, hey, I'm Sarah. Yeah. And I, I 
work remotely basically that's kind of all you say <laughs> and then after a while it's kind of like and i was talking with manasa about this as well it's like you have to get it out of you what you do and it kind of always like not not just you i feel yeah. like it's it's a women problem in general that like and you said it yourself like i don't want to set the expectations so high for the people there in front of me or what is it for you what is your experience of maybe did it happen to you in the past you were saying right away where you were doing and people felt oh my god she's so clever or something like um yeah i think there's a few reasons i think first of all i'm just used to it because i've always worked in such complex spaces like you know during my phd if someone asked me what it was on like there wasn't a hope in hell anybody would understand what that was about it would be mm -hmm. like organocatalysis in the kinetic resolution of amino acids it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like people just don't know what i'm talking yeah, about it's, yeah there's no point so yeah. i think i maybe got into the habit very early on of just like brushing over what i do because when they start asking questions it gets hard to kind of you want to explain it because they're trying to be interested but it gets very hard to explain it when people have no sort of chemical background <laughs> you feel like you're you don't want to come across like you're talking down to people just because, you know, they haven't studied chemistry for nine years because, of course, you're not talking down to them, but it's complicated. So I think it maybe stems from that. But then also, I think it is just like what I was saying the other day, that when I tell people what I do and what I've done, they automatically are like, whoa, this girl's a freaky genius. And, and I don't feel like I am at all. I feel like I'm a normal person that's just, you know, developed a skill in a specific area and I yeah I just don't like having that expectation on me to to be the smartest person in the room and I really just don't feel like that so yeah yeah but it's interesting because I mean do you think you're smart yeah I think I'm yeah I know I'm smart but in the scheme of things I think I'm like a normally smart person but like it's like you being a smart person amongst other smart people yeah you feel like people have changed the way they talk to you like where does this come from when i introduce myself in the way that you know the way that you say i should be introducing myself people literally say whoa you're a smart person like what yeah. do you say to that do you say yeah, yeah? i am <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah i know but it's it's also like yeah i can also be a fucking idiot though so it's you know yeah it's yeah like, there's like two sides to it it's like yeah okay I, I get complex topics and like I'm interested in life yeah. and innovation and, you know, pushing the needle forward. But yeah, I'm also, you know, really dumb. And a lot of my friends will tell you that. So yeah. yeah, but I feel like, you know, some people are very smart at certain things. And again, I feel like, you know, if you were a man, you would probably say like, I've published 10 things on top of having a PhD, yeah. you know, whether we always go for we don't want to intimidate people because that's what culture teaches us like gotta stay yeah. silent yeah we don't want to intimidate people or men around us how was your experience with partners were your partners intimidated by <sighs> what you did did you date in the field did that's you know a really interesting question and i think i've always been attracted to at least when i was younger i just generally was attracted to and dated like really smart guys. Maybe it's because of the field that I was in and, you know, it just naturally happened that way. But as I've gotten 
away from that and, you know, started working remotely and started meeting, you know, different type entrepreneurs. So very smart people, but in different ways. I have found that I don't know if they necessarily feel threatened by it, but I've spoken to some close friends about this too, close male friends. They do say that I think, at least in the entrepreneur circles, I'm not saying this for all men and also certainly not all male entrepreneurs, but they want to feel like the leader. They want to feel, they don't want to be corrected by the person that they're dating. But what would you correct them on? I don't correct them on, but just... They want to be smarter than the woman? I think so. That's so sick. And as you said, you're very smart in your field, but you can't know everything. It's just impossible. So it's like, I feel like that's so cultural. And this is obviously part of the whole patriarchal fucking system where the man has to be the strong. That's why I asked you about the relationship, because if for whatever reason, my partner is very smart and I don't feel confident, were you dating people that were really insecure? Because in my head, for example, an insecure person, an insecure guy that is with a girl, like the knows her shit, for example, that's yeah. also a problem. It doesn't yeah. have to be that like, yeah. I'm a smart person, you're not a smart person, but it's like, if I'm insecure, I will probably have a problem regardless, whether if I'm like very confident with what I do, it's probably better, even with me, honestly, like, I feel like I'm, I'm a confident person, you know, and like, I love what I do. And I definitely need a person that is very confident in what they do because otherwise it's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you on that. I think, unfortunately, or for, I don't know if it's unfortunately, there is sort of power dynamics in relationships. That's just the way they work. And I think the traditional dynamic is, you know, the men are the leaders, the women are the carers, supporters, the lovers. I quite like those dynamics. Of course, I'm not like super traditionalist, but is that the dynamic that was in your family? Ah, yes. But, well, I don't know if I want to go into this, but I think it was off in my family a little bit. But it, it's sort of a dynamic that I sort of seek, like in, a, in relationship, that safety from a man. And because of that, yeah, I tend to be more attracted to really confident men who are quite successful in their fields and that don't feel threatened by my achievements. Unfortunately, Sarah and I did not realize that after this moment, we did not record what happened after. So we decided to have a second recording session the following day. And it starts from here. Enjoy. All right, we're back. Hello, hello. How are you feeling? More relaxed today, I guess. Well, I thought you just said you need to have sex. Well, (laughs) I I do. (laughs) Yeah, women need to have sex too sometimes. Yeah. More than sometimes. I'd More say. than sometimes. What is the perfect ratio for you of like having sex per week? <sighs> Honestly, once a day if I'm with a partner. Once a day? Now the world will know. But like I would say I masturbate like more than once a day. More than once a day every single day. I go through phases, but like because I have lived a life, a very, not a solitary life, but like, you know, writing PhD PCs, mm. working from home. Yeah, I just have a lot of time to myself and it's kind of just become a relaxing behavior, to be honest. Do you need porn to do that? No, no, no. I don't need porn. I was like, it's crazy. Like most women don't need porn to masturbate. Yeah, but men Men do. do. Men are more visual, though. 
Mm. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I'd have nothing to back that up. But yeah. 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 I'm just curious because like, I was like thinking about this the other day while I was masturbating that like I go, th- I mean, first of all, I go through phases. I can go like a very long time and very, very long time. It's like sometimes it's like two weeks because maybe I don't bring my vibrator, vibrator <laughs> which is more of a clit sucker. It's just like, you know, those like flamingos. I've never tried those. <gasps> so good. Yeah. So good. Everyone listening, the clit sucker. So anyways, I use that. idea for Sarah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> So sometimes I just forget it and play take in different places or what would happen is like maybe I forget the charger somewhere. Yeah. So I, I don't have it with me. Or maybe I have my periods. I sometimes I go like even like two weeks. I could go two weeks, sometimes even more. Yeah. Oof, I don't know. And then therefore, like after I just like need to masturbate a lot. Yeah. But usually, yeah, I would say like yeah, not every every day, but but also it gets harder to come. Is that something that you experience no what do you mean it gets harder if i don't masturbate for like two weeks yeah let's say two weeks or even just a week then i could come quicker yeah and then multiple times if i want to yeah and then if i keep going every day it gets harder and harder for me like it takes more time and i'm less sensitive i guess i don't know so i've heard this actually it's called numbing there's a terminology for that actually But it's not really the case for me. Sometimes that has happened, but no. I but I've been described like I think I just have a very. This is so bizarre. We're talking sensitive. About sensitive. I've a one of my exes described me as the luckiest clitoris positioning of any woman he's ever met, just because. So lucky. Yeah, yeah. It's whatever way it's positioned, and you come. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard for me n- not to come, basically. So lucky. I hear, it's weird, because lately I've been hearing a lot of this, like a lot of women that come all the time. I have this one friend that I think one time she said she came like 10 times. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like most women maybe come one time and it's really hard. Most of my friends, some of my friends don't even come. Yeah. Surely every woman can come. I think it, I don't know this, but like. It's just about hacking what works for you, I guess. Hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, I rarely come. I mean, I honestly, I came only once through penetration. That's only been a couple of times for me. It, actually, okay. it's that Swedish ex that I told you about the last time. Mm-hmm. He really opened that up for me. And what I've read about since when it comes to because now if somebody makes me come from penetration like i'm putty in their hands to be honest Mm -hmm. if they can do that yeah but (laughs) yeah apparently it's to do with like a lot of warm-up is needed and Mm. i feel like actually in today's day and age of instant gratification and i do believe that's practiced a lot in sexual culture as well is that foreplay and warm-up isn't there isn't as much of an emphasis on it anymore. And I actually really missed that. Foreplay is so important it's and so overlooked. Important. And I actually think personally, so even thinking back to my last, let's call it relationship, um, the first time we had sex, it was so good. And 
I attribute that to his flirting style, like that, the date that we finally had sex, I mean, it was like the second or third date, it wasn't like we waited for well, like, we amazing finally, sex the second or third date is yeah. good. Yeah, but it's because whatever date we went on, like it was so flirtatious and there was such sexual tension for the whole date. We went to the spa, we were in the pool, we were touching, you know, so like the foreplay started, you know, from the second we started speaking almost, and then it got touchy. And then, so I like, I genuinely think foreplay starts way before you even start touching each other. Like, it, it's just the way you speak to each other, the way you just give each other attention. You don't even have to be openly flirty, but like, so just important. noticing when someone gives you a little bit more attention or, yeah, I think it's so important. Like that sexual tension, that game, you know, the give or take game and will we, won't we? It's just so powerful. And fun. Yeah, it's so fun. It's almost like more fun than the sex itself. I don't know, it, I agree. that's a big claim, but. No, no, I agree. I, I think like, honestly, I don't know about you, but like penetration to me, yeah, sometimes it's like super good, but like most times it's like not the most pleasurable thing. I get, as I said before, yeah. I mean, I come through clit stimulation only, basically. Yeah. So, and usually that's when someone goes down on me, which is why to yeah. me it's like that's super important, especially in that relationship. But so it's like, for me, and it's been like that, especially with my ex too, like the penetrative part feels good, but because I know I'm not going to come in that way, it, it's more for the guy. Yeah. That for me, I enjoy the process. I mean, obviously, but like it's more for the other person that, that it is for me yeah so foreplay and all the rest yeah it's like super important it's so important and i think it's it's just so skipped on or like done for you know a minute or two and then it's skipped down to business and i don't know if that's around awkwardness or not knowing mm. each other in the beginning of relationships or when you're in a relationship you just get lazy but yeah it's just so interesting it's it's so good and it's like Honestly, I feel like particularly in the beginnings of dating someone, like you should just be in a constant state of foreplay. Like that's my favorite state to be in, you know? Whenever you're around each other, you're playing this dance of foreplay. I don't know. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So you would have sex every day if you were yeah. in a relationship? Yeah. I mean, now I'm speaking about like for the last few years, I don't think I've had, you know, I've had long-term relationships, but over the last few years, it's been, you know, eight months, six months kind of a thing. So, I mean, you're still kind of in the honeymoon phase, obviously. Yeah. So, I like, I know when you get into longer-term relationships, you wouldn't really be having sex that often, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What kind of sex toy do you have? <laughs> I have... Sure. I have a really I'm funny... Curious. I have a really funny story about this. I don't know if I should tell you. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have a, a a Lilo vibrator. It's like one of those like rabbity ones. So okay. It, it's got like a clitoral part and a, a penetration part, but I only actually use the clitoral part. Okay. Um, and okay. but like here, I obviously don't have it with me, so I just use my hand. But and I kind of like going back to manual every now and again, to be honest. It, mm, yeah. Okay. It, yeah, I actually find the orgasms are better. It's less like. It's really? just instant gratification again. Okay. Um, this vibrator. I went on a few dates with an ex-Irish rugby player. He played for the international team. That's big. Yeah. He moved back to, I'm not going to say where he moved. He, he's not from Ireland. He moved back to where he was from. 
I'd say a couple of months after we started dating, because if I say where he's from, it might give clues as to who it is. Nope, you don't want to <laughs> reveal anyone's identity. We, we were texting still, but like, you know, it wasn't that. It was just a text here or there. One day I just decided, I was like, I wonder how far I can push him. Like, <laughs> so. Let's hear it. I Well, I didn't push him that far, but I ended up like asking for him to to, from this country's on the other side of the world, it's a big rugby nation. I ended up getting into, I picked out a really, really expensive vibrator, like one that I would never buy for myself. How expensive? Um, I think it was like 400 euros. What? <laughs> is it golden? Like, is it made out of gold? No. And I asked him to send it to me. Wait, um, is it is it a fancy brand? Like, what yeah, is... it's a fancy brand. It's a okay. Lilo I was like, what is yeah, so yeah. good about it? Because what's it? What's the brand called? Lilo. 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 And I asked him to send it to me just to see. Like, I don't know what my intention was. It wasn't like to start using it and sending him videos or anything. Like, I, w I was still quite innocent at this point, you know? I was still like... Wait, how old were you? Mm, well, not that innocent. I, I think it was like maybe 26, 27. Yeah. yeah. He sent it to me thinking, obviously, that I we'd start sending videos and stuff like that. But that wasn't my intention because I was just trying to see how far I could push it. I don't know what I was doing. I was playing a game with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he sent it to me, and then afterwards he realized that like I wasn't about to start sending him videos of me using it because, yeah, so the conversation died out. But he still texts me on my birthday every year and is like, I hope you're still enjoying the gift. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And do you answer yes, I am? Yeah, I do. like we have a nice, whenever we message, it's like a nice little rapport. It's not like sexual anymore, but okay. uh, yeah. He kind of laughed when I, I was when I told him I just wanted to see if I could if he'd do it. Yeah. I guess it was a power play game on my, on my end a little bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So interesting. Sometimes so you have a very fancy vibrator. Very fancy vibrator. Yeah. Thank you. Whoever player. you are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, shout out. <laughs> shout out to him. It's so interesting. Do you think do you think masturbation and just the topic of masturbation is taboo in your close circle in Ireland? Yeah. In general? Yeah, like we mention it sometimes, but I don't think we have discussions about it. I guess it is a private practice, but it also is like, I think I'd be one of the more open people speaking about it back home. Mm. But around that, like I also get it. I think I am extremely lucky that I find it so easy to come and that I'm so comfortable with that. And like it's barely a problem in sex. Does that have come with time you think the more you do it the more because knowing I, oneself is yeah it could be it could yeah. be just because i've always been so a bit like taking the time to explore right you know? like i was in a long distance relationship for four years mm -hmm. and then i was doing a phd as well like i said i, I spent a lot of time getting to know myself whereas maybe not other women don't i don't like i or maybe it's just more difficult for other women like it just is but because of that all that like you don't want to be making other women feel uncomfortable because I don't know it's a difficult conversation I feel like I don't bring it up so much because it's like yeah I find this so easy but I know a lot of women find it really hard so it's yeah do you think the difficult conversation is around or orgasms or it's just the topic of masturbation and the fact that like it is so taboo because women pleasure is never being you know in the forefront of any conversation really or both I don't know I think both are both yeah, both. They're like, there's even if you look into like female health, like 
there's there's actually a nature paper. I didn't read the full paper, but it was released like two days ago about and nature is like one of the biggest scientific publications publications mm -hmm. out there. You probably know it, but just for anybody that doesn't, but mm -hmm. just with how underrepresented. And if it's nature paper, it's it's fucking reliable. So to anyone that you know might turn around and say like that's just not true, but yeah, it, it just highlights how underfunded women's health is and and Crazy. research into women's health is and like I, for years, you know, they didn't even know the structure of the clitoris. Like it's yeah. just insane. So yeah, we don't know much about. I remember like when I was like a teenager, there was like this myth of the G spot. Or to G point, and yeah. then like there's like so many things around it, and and as you said, it was all because we didn't know, and we still don't know a lot still about a lot. about yeah. what is the clitoris and what is. And then I remember reading some stuff because I'm generally interested, because as you said, some people don't come, some people come, and then reading the fact that, you know, the the clit is not just like a little part; is big, it's huge, and yeah. it can be touched from different points, and yeah, yeah. and it's. Some people have it more sensitive than others, which is why some women come more easily, some don't. And yeah. then like, I was like, why do people, why do some women come through penetration and some others only, like all these things, like. And there there's is, a mental yeah. connection as well. And there's a mental connection as well. I, I do, and this is something I have discussed with my female friends. So I think, at least from my sample size, mm -hmm. for women, I, okay, this isn't scientific, this is from friends, but I do think, coming is a lot more mental than it is the physical acts. Whereas I think with men, I mean, there's obviously a mental aspect to it, but I think they are a lot more into the, the physical act of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, even if someone's going down on me, sometimes if I'm not, like if I'm a little bit distracted, yeah. or if I'm a bit in my head about something else, mm -hmm. I will really struggle. Like I'll still enjoy it, but I'll struggle to come from it because I'm not like fully engaged. Yeah. Whereas if someone's like in my face kissing me and you know, you, like you, you're more connected, so you're more engaged with it. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think for men, and then maybe we should ask them. I, I'll ask the next one on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I think for men, it's more about the fact that like, maybe they just enjoy the whole thing less, but they still can come because it's just as, you know, I think probably to some extent is also biology, like they need to spread the seed. Mm. So it's, but also I think that it has a lot, a lot to do with the fact that women's pleasure has never been discussed. And it's just not the focal point. It's not the focal point. It. Yeah, it's no. never being a thing. So we are super self-conscious about it. And honestly, probably, a lot of us don't really think it's like that important to come. Like I didn't think for a very long time it was that important to come until yeah. I got to one point where, where I was in a very committed relationship where I was like, listen, if you come, I come. Yeah. That's it. Like there is like no chance that if you come, I don't. Yeah. And this was in a committed relationship. So think about with a person that loved me, was in love with me. Yeah. Think about one night stands. Yeah. It's like whatever, you know, it's also what we were talking about but it's also like it's not discussed and and then i feel like with my girlfriends we talk a lot about sex and we don't talk about women pleasure it's weird it is weird we don't talk about it we yeah. don't talk about it yeah female dynamics are complex like i feel like society has, has us in competition with each other has us uncomfortable talking about pleasure i i, I don't know it's so different to, to the way men interact with each other yeah. Do you think that's like super taboo in Ireland also because it's a Catholic country? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like super sure. religious country. Yeah, like I mean, Ireland's changed a lot. It really has changed a lot in the last ten to fifteen years. It's coming on leaps and bounds. It still has its reservations. There's still a shame culture there. Do not get me wrong. Yeah, but yeah, it's moving. The younger generation are really, you know, championing change, um, and I'm, I am. You know, I'm encouraged by it. I, I feel positive about the changes that are being made. Yeah. I mean, there's a long way to go, but yeah. Isn't it just a few years ago? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember something happening in Ireland about abortion yeah. being legalized just a few years ago. In, yeah, it's yeah. still, I mean, yes, yes. Gay marriage was legalized and abortion was legalized in certain circumstances. It's still not, there's, there's still a long way to go there as well, I think. But yes. Yeah. positive changes have been made but even like I think you know the older generation's perceptions are changing because my dad who was I would say quite was quite a conservative Catholic and would have struggled a lot with a lot of these concepts and changes like he'd always listen and he's a really reasonable guy he's into philosophy and everything but he's also Catholic at heart and quite a traditionalist but like I've noticed in recent years how he has even his mindset has changed and that to me and even is like more open to talking about his you know feelings and stuff like that whereas before it's so it'd be so taboo for an Irish man to open up and talk about their feelings like that just didn't happen and so it's like really nice to see like even in older generations like that and obviously someone I care about so much that like it's changing for the good so did your parents sit down and gave you the tech sock no mm. definitely not yeah, where did you learn? Because I think we talked about it, but it wasn't recorded. Where did I learn? There was no sex education. I Yeah, I mm. told you this the other day. We're on the, the, the first attempt at recording this. Like, our sex education was fucked. It was... <laughs> the girls were brought in and shown a video of a backstreet abortion, and we were told that if we have sex outside of wedlock, this is what will happen to us. Mm-hmm. And the guys, I think, were shown really randomly so i don't know why they were shown this but they were shown so you guys were separated yeah we were separated and I, i'm pretty sure the guys were shown a video of circumcision which is weird i, I don't know what the point of that was but i wasn't shown the video i mean catholicism doesn't practice yeah no it doesn't which is why i'm like why were they shown that I, like i just i just have a, rem- a vague recollection of us being like yeah what did you guys get <laughs> and they're like yeah. yeah we got shown a circumcision we were like yeah we got shown uh, like a backstreet abortion. Um, this is insane because yeah. our generation, well, I mean, we're 30 and I was talking to Tomek and he's 29 yeah. and he was taught in school how to live in a family, basically how to, you know, ab- about making babies and, and have families and stuff. And you were taught this and I was taught somewhere in, in DeMille, I feel, but it wasn't obviously like, yeah. and I'm like, we're young. Like, I wonder, like, wow. And so much has changed in, like, during all, all this time when we were taught in school. And, and luckily, you had access to internet. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know where we kind of picked everything up. I think it's internet, just a lot of gaining, like, a lot of, I guess, experience and self-awareness through growing up as well. Like, that has to, and I, I guess I had, like, a, definitely one really solid boyfriend that I think he's amazing shout out to him <laughs> he won't listen to this but <laughs> maybe he like, will he was such a like kind and loving and supportive boyfriend that I feel like that gave the me a lot of the first boyfriend you ever had um, 
No, my first one was good too, but that's not who I was speaking about. That was like a teenage years. And then I had one sort of disastrous toxic boyfriend. And then after the toxic one, I had like a very great one. That's the one I did my long distance relationship with. But I feel like he doesn't know this actually, but I feel like I owe a lot of my like self-confidence and my security in myself and my sexual security as well to like just hit. What? Um, why? What did he do? Like there was nothing. It was just his like caring attitude, his like... Caring how? <sighs> do you know what? It's so long ago, but like he was a giver. He explored mm-hmm. things. He he also just like just such a supportive person. Um, God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Why not? You're saying yeah. like all great things. No, about but him. yeah, like uh, genuinely, like I think back to be like what, what made me so secure in because I was like as most are. I remember like in my early twenties, I was a pretty insecure person, and then at some point along the way, I just also like I probably did a lot of work myself. I have to give myself some credit too. But mm-hmm. yeah, at a certain point, I just I feel like I'm a pretty secure person. I still have insecurities. I still have a lot of work to do, but like... You just opened up a word to me. I mean, not that I never knew about this, but like, feel like, wow, I wonder... I mean, obviously, it's a lot about the work that I've done too, but like, I wonder, like, what if I feel so good and safe in my sexuality because of my ex? I mean, for sure. It, I, I think yeah. that has a big bearing. And like, if you, yeah. like, if you have a negative experience and you have a, a bunch of negative experiences with exes that like... I'm sure nobody intentionally wants to put other people down and make them feel like shit, but like uh, toxic situations happen. I try to be the best people though. But if that's your experience, like you're not going to be a strong person or maybe you are, but like, I feel like if I had a string of really negative relationships, I would be a very different person. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, what insecurities do you have? What insecurities do I have? I And the reason I ask is because I feel like that we as women have a lot of insecurities that usually have to do with our bodies, the yeah. way they, we look and this and that. And sometimes we feel very lonely in our insecurity. And I feel like a lot of us actually feel the same. same. Yeah, yeah. And, and the more we talk about them, the maybe yeah. the less we feel lonely. I have a few. I mean, I don't dwell on them, but I, first of all, I've been reading in the last, I would say six months or so, a lot about attachment theory. Um, and I would say I am, depending on who I'm with, I, uh, I can be secure, but I'd have to be with a very secure partner to be secure. But I have a tendency when things start to kind of go to shit to drift into the anxious attachment. Are you familiar with attachment no. theory? And so, oh, I'm not going to get into it, but because it's, it, it's such an interesting concept, but essentially it categorizes um, the way that we romantically attach to people or even in friendships attached to people based on our childhood traumas and our, our, the way that we learn to love from our parents. So I, I'm going to like butcher this to be honest. <laughs> Anxious attachment styles. So if, if you know, you feel like you go through the highs of emotion when you're with your partner and you need sort of constant reassurance that they're still in love with you and you know, their feelings aren't changing. And um, that can come from 
inconsistency in, in caregiving from your parents. It doesn't mean that they don't love you, but like, you know, um, security yeah. attached people have that consistent care. Um, and generally they are a lot more, you know, they don't need that constant reassurance. They're a lot more, you want to be the secure one. <laughs> I know, I actually was like reading something the other day, some post on Instagram or something that said yeah. like, if you have this anxiety or if you just overly want to take care of people is that childhood trauma that your parents do not take care of you the way you were wanted or expected or you needed. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, because that was like mind blowing because I generally don't love to take care of people. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes you're given shit for that. Yeah. And then the people that love to take care of everybody and everything, it's like they kind of get glorified. It's like, oh, you know, and sometimes it's like, and then reading that, I was like, well, I'm kind of glad that I don't feel like I need to take care of everybody and everything. It's like, yeah. And probably it's, thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's well, just like, you should read that book, Attached. It's so yeah. interesting. Attached. Yeah, it's called Attached. Cool. It's a, like, it's, it's based on proper psychology. There's been studies, yeah, yeah. a lot of studies and stuff done on this, but the book yeah. is really, really good. And then there's the avoidant attachment style, which I know the least about, but I think it's, Lack, rather than inconsistent care so the anxious people get love but it's like inconsistent so they never know what to expect and mm -hmm. that, that makes that anxiety loop of you not really knowing what you're going to expect then the avoidant ones I think they they learned to self-soothe um, because their parents were maybe a bit more absent and generally these are again I'm no expert on this and I'll probably butcher it but these are the people that sort of avoid commitment. And when they get too close to people and start to care, they, they freak out because I don't know, they're so scared of losing it or whatever. And then they yeah, back off. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah, I yeah. know I know a lot of people like, I feel like the last person I dated is a avoidant. And I am, like I said, sometimes secure, sometimes anxious, but whenever I date avoidant people, I become anxious. And yeah, it's just not, a, it's not a good place to be. Yeah. No. Yeah. So that's like one of the, your biggest insecurities, you were saying? No, but it's just one that I've been thinking about lately. Mm -hmm. um, then physical insecurities. Yeah. Like I, it's so hard in this Instagram age not to be thinking about have physical insecurities. So, I mean, I love a flatter stomach. I'd love bigger boobs. I, sometimes I want to be curvier. Sometimes I want to be skinnier. Like, honestly, like it, the body, I don't have body dysmorphia, but like, it's just bizarre depending on what content you're consuming, where the insecurities come from. You know, I would like a more defined jaw, bizarrely, or I, sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty hot. And sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, whoa, like I'm gross, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. And then I also actually have intellectual insecurities as well. Interesting. Yeah. I've noticed that you wear makeup a lot. Yeah. Like almost every day. Yeah. Well, I, do you know what? It's funny because back in Malta, I probably wouldn't. Hmm. It's just here. Um, I think yesterday I saw you without makeup for the first time and you look gorgeous. Yeah. You know, like I was like, oh, natural look. Love yeah. it. I was going to tell you, but then we got into such deep conversations yeah, yeah. that drifted off. Like, honestly, it's not the makeup thing isn't an insecurity. I'm trying to make more of an effort with it because I feel like in COVID and getting older, you don't care as much. And I don't know, I feel like I, I like to, you know, look pretty. I like to, even though I, I know 
like I'm happy with how I look without makeup. I don't know, I'm just going through a phase where I'm enjoying makeup. It's it, mm. and that's it. Um, I went on a date last week not wearing makeup because I got a facial that day. It's not about, I feel like I need it to go outside, but it's just, I'm going through a phase right now that it's so funny because people in work, like they actually commented one day, they were like, wow, Sarah, you're so different when you wear makeup <laughs> because I never wear makeup, you know? But yeah, right now I'm just going through a phase where I'm, in, I'm enjoying, enjoying it a little bit. So that's it. Cool. Yeah. Because I feel like I subconsciously always do it for a reason, yeah. whether it's to fit beauty standards or, or well, in I'm saying, going out and I want to impress people. Yeah. Or like I definitely don't do it for myself. I can certainly they say that. Yeah. 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 Well, no, that's not to say that I'm not affected by beauty standards. Adhering to them is is why I'm enjoying it at the moment. It's not. I feel like we're all affected by beauty standards, but. I'm not gonna beat yourself up for it. Yeah, I yeah. just in, like, I, yeah, I'm just enjoying it. But like over cool. here, you can't wear that much makeup. Otherwise, you just melt. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Go through phases. Yeah. Makes sense. Nice. Last question: Where do you hope to be in ten years? That is such a hard question. Because I'm currently like trying to decide what direction my life would want to go. Mm. But in 10 years, I would like to have a partner that we are like growing together, you know, committed to growing together. Yeah. Committed to growing together. I would like to have a kid, I guess. Oh my God, that's so scary, but because I'm so not ready for them now, but I know I want them and I will have to have it before I'm 40. So yes, I would like a kid. Maybe two. Ideally twins, my mom's a twin, so I could just pop them both out at once. Also, if I end up doing IVF, they're much more common in IVF, so. Are you an only child? No, I have a brother. Oh, and honestly, again, I hope he doesn't listen to this and gets a big ego but like he is one of my favorite people in the world why are you scared of you i just don't like to i should do it more but i don't tell people how i feel about them that easily why not i don't know i should do it more yeah and i feel like i mean given such great comp i mean uh, it's funny because every time you preface what you're saying like oh, i hope this person does i mean i'm waiting for something negative yeah and there's always something good and i'm like i'm so confused yeah i see that. no okay i'll take that i need to yeah start telling people what i think about them yeah. but i feel like my brother is so i'm a big again how is it older or younger two years younger so years we're younger. pretty close we hated each other growing up yeah but then like when we moved out of the house we just got really really close like we don't talk every day we're not that i'm not that kind of person with anyone i don't talk to anybody every day yeah but like I'm one of those people that we just pick up exactly where we left off with all of my close friends, mm -hmm. uh, my brother included. But he's just one of the people that I feel like I can unconditionally rely on. Like he will catch me if I fall. I feel like I'm quite an independent person and I had a, a, a rough upbringing, let's say. I'm not, I don't want to go into it, but a pretty inconsistent and rough upbringing. And it was full of love, but it just wasn't, it wasn't easy, let's say. And I feel like I learned to look after myself pretty early on. And I learned to hustle and I learned to, you know, make sure I looked after myself and could put myself in a position where I could get ahead, basically. 
Where you're looking after your brother too. He was kind of looking after himself too. Himself. <laughs> yeah, we both kind of learned that. But because of that, I feel like there's not, because I learned to look after myself, I've never really relied on other people. But so I love when people, like I'm a big acts of service person. If somebody offers to give me a lift somewhere or that, that kind of stuff, it makes a big impact on me. But I feel like my brother is just the one person that I know I can ask for help and it's just there. And I'm sure loads of other, other people would do it, but like, I just know he has me and I don't think there's anybody else in my life that I feel has me like the way my brother does if something were to happen. So please don't listen to this, Neil. <laughs> no, please listen to this, Neil. Because she's just giving you one of the best compliments ever. Yeah. So I hope he does. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> Great person. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. I like a relationship where we're, like, growing together. Like, uh, really putting the effort in. Um, I'd like maybe a kid or two. Although that scares the shit out of me. And then why? Just because it it's not something that fits into my life right now. Okay. And so you don't feel ready for it. Right no, now. definitely not. Yeah. I don't want them right now. Yeah. I want them because I know I will one day want them. But mm. the fact that there's this clock in our like yeah. that's something that that does stress me out a lot. What if you get to forty and you will still not want them? I think I'll bang one out anyway. Okay. <laughs> it's not as easy as that, I know, but I think yeah. like I think I just know in my future I will want to have brought a life into this world and have raised a life. So mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then also I don't know where my career is going to take me because it's like my career path has changed way more than I ever thought it would, you know. So I mean, right now I'm considering like moving into AI and drug discovery, but there's like a lot of work to be done there before I can get in on the AI side of it. But also maybe would be to go back and and sort of learn that from the beginning, it would be like a big financial cut for me, I guess, to go from where I am right now to starting this over. But I like, there's something interesting about it. So let's see what happens. Yeah, so maybe I'll be down that path, but you just don't know because- Life is a mystery. Yeah, life is a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. No problem. It was great. Loved it. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Good question. I don't like to plan ahead. I'm like very much a person that lives today because I could be dead tomorrow. And I don't know, I feel like thinking like that is not really good for a lot of things. On the other hand, it just helps me um, live in the present. And I feel like that's what I've needed so far. Mm-hmm. I hope I'll be happy in in the way that like I feel happy and whole today yeah yeah the aim is to be happy and fulfilled Mm -hmm. and have a good community yeah like our little Bali fam that we've put together yeah that's so important and that is what I want to recreate that's why I want to create what I want to create because this experience was so and by that I mean the creator house that I the co-working co-living because this experience was so good and so meaningful that i just want more of that in my life yeah i got it it's only been in the last few years that i've really realized how important like community is to 
my hope, my overall happiness. And yeah. And I don't think it's for everybody. I think like a lot of people just work better on, like on their own and having a community of people around is um, maybe it's not for everybody. Yeah. Though in saying that, I think I'm a solo worker. Like mm -hmm. you work I, by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but then you need a community. I like the community for the intellectual stimulation. Yeah. And I like the community for, for just the like help there's somebody to catch you you know yeah. the yeah it's it's the the benefits of the community and i think a lot of people in the past have relied to religion for communities yeah. and still a lot of people today but i feel like i mean that wouldn't definitely wouldn't work for me and a lot of the people that are in my same situation is because they don't have that community um so you gotta create a community out of other things yeah and do. being a digital nomad helps being a content creator or creative mind or you know that helps it helps but it also i think moving around a lot can can also impede the community building like i've, I've like I've, we were saying earlier like coming here and like i've found bali amazing for community and that's why mm -hmm. i kind of i'm like fuck, i could live here but outside of that I've actually found the digital nomad community like it's fun but I've found a lot of the relationships are quite fickle you know they fall through the cracks it's yeah I think the digital nomad community is too broad yeah I feel like within the digital nomad community you need to find your people still yeah yeah true. yeah true well that is my advertisement for Mimi's creator house in <laughs> Rome <For> myself yeah <laughs> Yeah. If you are seeking a cool community. Yeah, I mean, I mean we'll see if it will be cool, yeah. but I hope it will. Yeah. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Okay. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.